What's up, guys? It's your host, Lopez, and I just want to say thank you for tuning into this episode today. If you're on Facebook and want to show some support with a like on the page, you can find it by going to facebook.com slash Behind Closed Doors Podcast or just searching Behind Closed Doors Podcast. You can also find it on Twitter at The BCD Podcast and on Instagram at The Behind Closed Doors Podcast. Last but not least, follow the podcast on Spotify by searching Behind Closed Doors in the podcast section to see all the amazing upcoming interviews I have to come. Every Sunday, I post a picture of a band with a hint of who my next guest is. Then on Tuesday, I post a brief clip from our video interview with a good highlight of our conversation we had. And lastly, post the new episode up on Spotify every Thursday morning. Now, on to the episode. And um, oh, first cool. and foremost, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. How are you doing this morning? Look a little sleepy. <laughs> yeah, I just woke up a few minutes ago. Uh, so uh, just going to sit back and relax and uh, yeah, doing good. Just uh, nothing too dramatic yet. Haven't started my day yet. <laughs> where, did, uh, where are you originally from? Are you originally from California? Yeah, Huntington Beach. Oh, is that where you live in at currently then? No, right now uh, we live in Corona. Uh, oh. We had to, uh, my wife and I have four sons, so we had to uh, get out of Huntington Beach and go out to Corona so that we could get a house that would accommodate four boys. That sounds things like are a little pricey. T- things are a little pricey at Huntington Beach. Yeah, I can only imagine. I'm sure I, I've always heard that California and like those, the coast over on the coast, you know, the coast, they're uh, pretty expensive to, you know, the living is pretty expensive just in general. Yeah, definitely. What's your boys' age gaps? Um, my youngest is 16. My oldest uh, turned 29 uh, two days ago. Oh, wow. So did they all get along pretty well? How was that growing up in the teen years? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I, I've been very lucky. Um, they get along great, and uh, um, I can't complain. <laughs> could be worse. You could have four girls in the teen years, all you know, two years <laughs> apart. Man, oh, man. Yeah. <clears throat> so... You 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 were one of the founding members of the Ziggins, correct? Yes, I am the founding the member. founding member. Okay. Yeah. What what got you wanting to play guitar and sing and all that good stuff? What are some of your influences, and when did you even start doing all that? Well, um, I started late. Actually, I was doing um, I was doing some acting, uh, but just like 
high school stuff, then college stuff. Um, and I realized when I was doing some college acting that uh, uh, it wasn't my calling. I liked it, but I could tell that I wasn't, I don't know. So I, uh, I'd always wanted to be in a group, but I didn't know any musicians. I, I came up with all my friends were athletes. Um, and I, I really didn't know anybody who played in a band or anything. So, but it was something I always thought about, but I, uh, I didn't play guitar. I didn't, you know, really know how to even make a band or what to do. But, uh, so, but it was something that I always kind of held as, as like this dream thing way in the back of my mind. Wouldn't that be awesome if, and, uh, so, uh, my sister bought me a pawn shop guitar for Christmas. Um, and I started learning a little bit, teaching myself a little bit on that. And then, um, just kind of went from there. And that's when, did you, did you get a lot of the songwriting for the Ziggins along that time period when you first started out? And is that what progressed into what are on the albums now? Yeah. Uh, that's what I bring to the table is the songwriter. I write, I usually our drummer, Brad writes one song per record and all the rest of them are, are me. Uh, although the record we just made right now, um, I did all the songs. He didn't write any this time, but he usually writes one per album. But uh, yeah, that's that's. I mean, it, it it morphed. I mean, it started from buying an acoustic guitar, learning a couple chords. Um, this where I worked at this shop uh, in the mall. There was a guy around the corner. I mean, this is going back a million years, but there was a guy who kind of looked to me like he was a musician. He had that haircut. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so his wife said to me, yeah, he, he has a, uh, he has a, a full PA, he has guitars, everything. So he, he and I started chatting and uh, we, we uh, kind of had similar interests. So we got a couple of guys to go over one day and try and see if we could make some noise. We didn't even know how to tune our guitars, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that's where it started. Uh, he and I didn't end up keeping together and making a band, but once, once I had that initial thing where I was like actually in a garage and there was a PA and there was people standing around, I was like, okay, you know what? I liked it. And I knew I wasn't a great singer and I wasn't a great, I'm not a great guitar player. So I figured early on, what can I bring to the table and what do bands need that they never have enough of his songs. Mm -hmm. So I just started writing the most God awful songs you've ever heard in your <laughs> life. I mean, really, really bad, but I was trying. And the thing was, even though they were so bad, I kept saying, well, you know what? I was going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it because I'm hooked on it. I love this. This is really fun. And then gradually they started getting a little better, but it's a process. <laughs> <laughs> so the Ziggins has been the thing that you've, the band that you've just been in your whole life then? There hasn't been any like side project or anything like that? Oh, no, there have been. I mean, I've been in the Ziggins for, I don't know, 30, 30 years. 
and it's been the same four guys. I mean, eventually I met up with um, Dickie, and then he introduced me to John, and then um, then after that, uh, Brad, the drummer, became roommates with Dickie, and then he came in, and then it's been the same four idiots for <laughs> a, a really long time, and. Um, yeah, I've been in the I've been in the Ziggins the whole time, but um, for the for six years I was in um, Jelly of the Month Club. Uh, also, Jelly of the Month Club is a kids band, uh, and it's uh, in the band originally was Bud Gaw from the group Sublime, myself, Todd Foreman who played sax for Sublime and two other Long Beach fellows, and we made Jelly of the Month Club. And then Bud, but Bud was in Reno, Nevada. We were all here in California, so Bud eventually just kind of drifted out. We replaced him with a permanent drummer. And then I did that for six years, and then I retired from that a couple of years ago. Uh, and they, they're carrying on. And then I help them out with stuff, uh, and we still kind of, you know, we're all buddies and but I'm not in Jelly of the Month Club per se anymore, but I did that for six years. We put out two records, two children's records. They're really good records. Um, and then, like I said, I've been in the Ziggins the whole rest of the time. And then briefly, I was in something called the Bert Suzenka Band, which was just me and some buddies horsing around. And then um, I was also in uh, uh, Bert Suzenka and the Astronaut Love Triangle, and that was uh, one record we put out for fun. Just again, just buddies, local buddies having something fun to do. Right, exactly. um, yeah. So, but other than that, it's, it's been the Ziggins the whole time. I mean, um, and, but, but I don't know if you know, we haven't made a, a new Ziggins record in, it's been 18 years. Yeah. Last one wasn't, uh, besides the greatest hits collaboration in 20. 2003 the last one was the self-titled the ziggins in 2002 so it's going to be come next year would be two years 20 years yeah so yeah uh it's been a long time and what i was doing during that time was making jelly of the month club records putting out uh, a so i put out a solo record called onward christian slater and um the, and doing all those little side projects and stuff um, and so then a couple of, like two years ago i just said to the guys this is silly what are we doing here i'm gonna so i wrote 42 songs and um started demoing them and then whittled it down to like 19 and we recorded 19 and then um the record was mastered um three or four days ago Obviously, it's not out yet, but it's it's done. And it's just waiting to be released now? Yeah. When do you think a release date would be? You know, I don't know because um, there was a label that was kind of interested. I don't know if they still are. And they we sent them the tracks. So they're listening to the tracks right now. If they get involved, then I don't know when it'll be released because I don't know what timeline they would have. If they decide 
it, it's a now without getting into specific it's a label that features different kind of music than what i do mm-hmm. so i wasn't really i didn't really think they would probably get into it but um you never know but uh um so if they don't if they don't uh get into it then i hope to release it fairly soon or maybe you know month month and a half that'll be exciting yeah that's uh it's been a long time since anyone's gotten to hear anything new, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, a, and it's a real nice record. I think people are going to enjoy it. Uh, it's kind of got that. That's uh, well, just the same as all of our you know, records. It's got uh, surf music, novelty songs, some rockers, and some ballads, which seems to be the repeating style take me to over and over and over <laughs> i so, guess since i'm writing them that's just the way i write absolutely the song big salty tears on your guys's category is the number one popular song i don't know if you're an itunes or a spotify guy but on spotify it's the number one played song on your guys's catalog which is sitting at seven hundred twenty-two thousand streams what is the writing process behind that song and did you expect that to be such a popular hit no, not at all. It was just another song I wrote a long, long time ago. And um, the story behind it is, uh, that's kind of funny, is we were sharing a rehearsal studio with No Doubt, the band No Doubt. Mm-hmm. And um, we they would come into our room and listen to us while we rehearsed. And we'd go in and listen to them while they rehearsed. And uh, for some reason, Gwen kept saying to me, play that salty one. I like that one. That one's <laughs> cute. I like that one. So um, I remember a long time ago that she originally thought that it was a catchy song and she liked it. Um, but it wasn't anything different about that song than any of the other songs. I didn't think it was better or worse or anything else. We just said another song. What really made it popular is obviously because Brad Knoll played uh, it at an unplugged show he was doing and it got onto the seat, some CDs. And um, so that's what made the song popular. I don't think it was because it was any better or any worse than any of the other songs necessarily. It's just, he made it popular because he liked, he played it. And then once he played it, then all the sublime fans wanted to hear the original version of it, you know? So my thank you to him, but yeah. Now my personal favorite song is pistol Pete at sitting at 73,000 streamers. What's the storyline behind that song? Well, when I was a kid, uh, I was obsessed with basketball. I mean, that's, I, I didn't have a lot going on, so I we had a court in our front yard, a driveway. So I would just practice and play and play and play and play. All my friends come over, we play basketball, and that's uh, I you know I was really into the Lakers and you know all of that. And uh, but my favorite player was Pistol Pete. I mean, just the way he played, the, the tricks he did, his. Uh, you know, just an amazing individual. So then I read a book about his life. And uh, um, once I read about, you know, his deep faith, uh, because he, you know, he was a kind of a miserable human being. And by that, I don't mean he was a mean person. I mean, he was 
he was not a happy guy. He always felt like he was agitated, unfulfilled, not really um, satisfied. So then towards the end of his life, he became a man of faith and, and, and his relationship with God became something really, really important to him. And um, the book outlined all of that. So that's after reading the book, then I just sat down and wrote the song. <laughs> it's a really catchy song. I, um, I think that's actually one of the first songs that I heard from the Ziggins is Pistol P. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a, it's a nice song. Now the song, uh, well, the music video for the waitress song where it's, uh, gosh, I can't remember how long ago it's been put out, but what was it like filming a music video like that? It was cool. Um, our friend, uh, do you know who Josh Fischel is? I don't think it doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, he's passed away now, but he, he is the one who shot it, came up with the kind of the concept of how to do it. And we'd been playing that song for years in clubs and we recorded it once or twice. And, um, he played in a band called bargain music and, uh, he, was a fellow uh, he lived in Long Beach not far from Huntington Beach where we were and uh, so he approached us with the idea and said hey how about we shoot a video for the waitress song and um, we agreed and uh, it was fun yeah we had a good time doing now when you you had said spoke just briefly about Brad Noel and the Sublime guys what was your how did you guys' friendship come about? Well, um, I think originally what happened was there was, we recorded uh, some songs at a school called Cal State Dominguez Hills here in, it was in Los Angeles. And there was a fellow there who was at the studio. Um, he knew he knew how to get us into the studio and um, he was roommates with our bass player, John. So this fellow, uh, his name is Mike Happold. So he got us into the studio there to record some songs. And after he heard our songs, he was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. So we started actually, we brought him into the band and he was actually our guitar player. Now Dickie, who was, who also was in our band, he left for a while. And so we were just, uh, it was just basically me and John recording in there. And so then Mike Happel became our lead guitar player. And he, uh, he was, we started doing some recording and doing things with him. And while we were doing that, this is in the Long Beach area, he went and saw this group sublime this new group um and became their friend and he started recording them so he was recording his own band the ziggins with me and he was recording with sublime um he wasn't in sublime he was just recording them and and became their friend eventually he got so busy with doing stuff with sublime recording with them even playing on stage with them for a good part of the time and managing them was the biggest thing. He became their manager. 
So I told him, I said, look, man, you got a good thing going. Just go. And we got Dickie and said, get back in the band. Mike's too busy with Sublime. and We want a second guitar in the group. So uh, and then, of course, uh, Sublime, we started playing shows with them constantly. We opened for them more than any other group. We were their main opener. And we had an invitation to open any and all shows we ever wanted to do. Up until the day Brad passed away, that morning, we got in our van and drove to the venue and took us a while to get there. We got there that afternoon and the guy said, the show's canceled. What? You know, he said, well, the singer from Sublime passed away last night. I said, that's not possible. I was with him last night. He's like, I don't know what to tell you, guy. So Brad had uh, left to go to their hotel room after the show the night before. We left to go sleep on our friend's floor because, you know, they were sublime and we were the Ziggins. I mean, mm. <laughs> we slept on people's floor. They slept in hotel rooms. <laughs> so uh, that's when he passed. So there was just a little window there where we, we weren't all together. No, I had uh, <clears throat> Kelly on, let's see, three weeks ago now, and I asked her this question. It would be a good question for you. If you could say one thing to him or tell him one thing today, what would that be? If I could tell him, say that again? Now, if you could say one thing or have one more last conversation with Brad right now, what would it be? Well, I guess it would be... get ready because you're gonna you're gonna stand before god soon you know get get everything pulled together in your life your spiritual life because um you're not going to be here much longer and where you spend eternity is much more important than what's going on down here It's crazy for me to be able to, to be talking with you and, you know, hearing your name in multiple sublime songs like Greatest Hits and Thanks. And you guys definitely had to have shared a, a really good friendship and a bond because like in the Greatest Hits lyrics, he talks about lighting a cigarette and saying that he thinks that you made him drink. And just you guys seem like you had you guys go back and had good times. And there's lots of videos of you guys playing together and the video of you playing bad fish at the memorial show for him was just a great time it seems like and then of course with the house that bradley built the most recent release you know of the covers album yeah um yeah we did um i was closest to mike happel but certainly enjoyed a very warm relationship with brad eric and bud um, they took us under their wing, and like I said, they let us play as much as we wanted, whenever we wanted. Uh, we we recorded at the same spots. We played the same gigs. We hung out a lot. Um, the band's very uh, stylistically very different, which was interesting because when we would play, open up for them, their fans would kind of look at us like, "What? What is this?" <laughs> <laughs> And it was so, uh, such a, uh, a swing musically, a different situation. But 
Brad loved that. I mean, he 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 just heard catchy songs. You know what I mean? He didn't get caught up in, well, you guys aren't, you know, in the same style as we are. I mean, we're geeks and, and nerds and, and they were hip, hip, cool guys. But their fans were always really nice to us because they're like, these are friends with Sublime and they have catchy songs, even though it's like we got in the early days, we play a whole bunch of country music. <laughs> and uh, then then eventually we I started getting into surf music and writing more like that. But, you know, and of course, I've always had this weird novelty song thing going, too. So their fans looked at us like, OK, uh, we don't know exactly who these guys are. <laughs> But it somehow worked because um, I made this weird analogy before, but it was kind of like Sublime was, and this is before your time, but Sublime was Fonzie and Ziggins were Rich, Richie Cunningham. So you'll have to look up what the heck that means. <laughs> um, now, I'm sure you there's endless stories for this next question, but what's one of the craziest things that's happened on tours with you guys? Uh, craziest thing that happened on tour with us. It's a good question. Gee, I don't know. Um, well, I remember one time we were playing, um, we were playing on the Warp Tour in Oregon, and um, I don't know, my guitar wasn't working. Something happened to my guitar, so Eric Wilson from Sublime had this shiny metal flying V guitar. <laughs> I don't know, it was laying around somewhere by the, by the side of the stage, and I don't know. So he said, here, you can use this. So immediately I had this gigantic flying <laughs> V heavy metal guitar. And uh, thing was, it had really hot pickups. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm like, man, this thing sounds great. It sounds better than the, the cheapo uh, Strat ripoff guitar that I had been using, the copy. So there's some pretty funny pictures of... Uh, me playing this uh, wild heavy metal guitar that Eric Wilson found by the side of the stage and gave to me to play on the Warp Tour. We were idiots. We were we played that show, and of course there was tons of people there, and we had booked a show that night in Portland uh, at a bar that was about you know the size of this bedroom here, and uh, we got there and we were so tired. And we set up and no one came to the gig and we were bad people. We basically got into our van and drove away. <laughs> and the, I, from what I understand, the bar owner was so mad at us. He took our CDs and was smashing them with a hammer. They, <laughs> they, they said, because the Ziggins came to our bar, realized there was no one there, knew they had a show the next day on the Warp Tour, were super tired, and just drove away from the gig. And uh, so we always felt really bad about that. We got, when we became older and mature and understood that there was somebody who was a, a bar owner who was counting on us to play that night, 
And uh, but he got back at us by smashing our CDs online. <laughs> That's crazy. What's what? What is a major conflict or failure that you faced while being a musician, and how did you overcome that? Uh, did you say a conflict? Yeah, like a conflict or a failure or something that you know didn't go as planned. Well, um, I don't really like being on the road too much. So, um, and I've had some health issues on and off over the years. So, uh, not being able to stay out on the road back in the day for long, long stretches of time did not help us. Um, I mean, we go out for a week at a time. That's about all I can take. I'm not a road dog. Yeah. It's not, it's not in my nature. I need to get lots of sleep. And, um, so that was not helpful for the band that we had to go off on and off the road all the time because I had to kind of sleep and catch up. So that was a little rough, but, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, make good music tour when you can, um, you know, obviously, sublime that band ending didn't help because yeah. we would have been playing the enormo dome and opening up for them and playing huge venues which would have helped us a lot but um it, it kind of made us carve out our own little underground niche of of fans uh, instead of just playing for people who really weren't you know that they weren't our fans you know uh, so we had to make our own little following of fans. And of course, it's on a much, much, much smaller scale than what maybe what it could have been, you know. But um, I don't look at it that way. I, I just look at it as like, hey, we got to share that with them for a while. It was fantastic. And uh, they were nice enough to let us go along for the ride while it lasted. And you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation right now if that didn't happen Ninety. Nine percent of our fans found us through Sublime, still to this day. So, and I just, I just thank them, and um, you know, it was a real treat while it lasted. It always makes me wonder, like with bands like you know Nirvana, Sublime, all those bands that ended a little earlier than anticipated. What the, would it be like? What it could potentially have been like today, like what their sound would have changed into if at all. And what just things like what, what would their songwriting have been today? And it's just one of those things you always wonder, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think about that. All the songs that uh, could have been, yeah. but uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll hear them in the next life. Absolutely. <laughs> now, my last question for you real quick before we wrap it up is, with the new Ziggins album, what can we all expect to hear on that? Um, well, there's 19 songs. It's a big album. So because it's been so long, I wasn't going to put out a, you know, eight or nine song record. I figured, what the heck? I mean, I've been working on it for a couple of years, but mostly just behind this, this demos and preparing and you know, when you have 42 songs, you know, you're like, okay, I got to record portions of all of them. I couldn't determine which ones I'd keep and which ones, you know, I had to record them, at least like rough versions and go, okay, eh, this sounded better in my head. 
doesn't sound so good. I'll put this one aside. But there's 19 songs, and it's basically the same thing. Like I said, there's surf instrumentals, there's novelty songs, there's ballads, and there's some you know real aggressive rock and roll distorted guitars, which I didn't set out to write. I don't ever set out to write anything. I just sit down and whatever comes out, comes out. But those seem to be the same four repeating styles that we've had record after record after record. So I guess that's how I write. That's how songs come out. So, um, yeah, and we recorded it in Long Beach with this fellow, Chris Jackson, engineering it, producing it. And uh, we had a lot of fun, actually. And uh, a lot of laughs. There's a lot of good times on this record there's some serious numbers you know it's just it's all over the map just like it always is you know with the ziggins absolutely um is there anything you want to say to anybody listening before we cut out well just um i'm excited for everybody to hear the new songs um and i can't wait to to get it to get the songs out there because like i said it's been a long time so uh, I think it's going to be a fun ride. I think I'm excited to hear what people think and excited to touch base with people in, in this capacity. Sure. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Bert. Uh, Devin, it's, my, it's been my pleasure. Uh, I sure appreciate you including me on this. Not a problem. Absolutely. Anytime. Awesome. All right. Thank you, buddy. We'll have a good one. All right, you take care and we'll talk again, okay? All right, sounds good, buddy. Thank you. All right, bye now. Bye.